Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni, and let's do justice. Karibuni sana to this uh, podcast episode, and I'm really excited to have my friend, my neighbor, my colleague <laughs> on this podcast uh, episode today. So um, we have Christian Luanda, um, and he'll introduce himself to us, and he will tell us who he is and what we Yes, Karibu. Asante, Asante, Carol. Uh, like she has said, my name is Christian, Christian Luanda. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a proud husband of one wife and a proud father of one son. Uh, I'm a Kenyan, I'm an African. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I am a pastoral assistant at Emmanuel Baptist Church and have worked alongside Carol at Nairobi Chapel, um, I work in several different churches across uh, Nairobi and South Africa. And yeah, just happy to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now. We take so yeah, much. I, what has 2020 been for you? What has, it, what has it taught you? A lesson that 2020 has taught you? Just one. Does your podcast have four hours? Um... <laughs> <laughs> just one. Out of those many lessons, just one. Um, to let God be God. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned. Um, we we opened the year with um, great hopes and expectations, and then COVID threw us off. Um, friends of ours passed away, um, and it just felt like one thing after another. And there's been blessings in the year as well, blessings we didn't expect. Eh? Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those for um, realizing that, like everyone else on the planet is realizing, I am not in control. Um, and I have to let God be God, and I have to trust that He, when I don't understand His mind, I still need to trust His heart, and He's still good, and I can let Him be God. Wow, yeah, that God's heart is always for you, for His people. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think for me, the lesson has been that God is the sustainer, amen. Yeah, because, and not even provider per se, but sustains even without provision i think that sometimes you can look at what you don't have and what we've not had in the year not had work we've not had friends we've not had all those things around you that prop you up but in one way or another we've we've been able to hold it together so that that for me learning the the sustaining act of god has been Mm -hmm. has been very personal actually amen yeah yeah so as i said uh christian is my neighbor (laughs) actually in the same place so (laughs) we we normally have we've had quite intense conversations in the parking lot <laughs> about right. justice and and uh discipleship and church and faith and and so many things and um i was like 
Christian, we need to have this on the podcast. We agree on some things, we disagree on some things, but right. we love. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm glad you said it. Yes. And, uh, and I think in the one place we really do agree on is that God is a God of justice. Yes. And God has taught us and has called us to do justice. And so I want to ask you, Christian, when, um, when did this dawn on you? What was that process for you? Um, yeah, so I think first you're right, it's a process. And by the way, thanks for, for making it clear. There are some things we agree on, some things we disagree yes. on. Yes. And part, part of being just is not forcing everyone to agree with you. And that's one of the things I, I like about you is you're not saying everyone has to conform to standard A or standard B. And so props to, the, to you and the guys who are listening um, to you. That's right there. It's just a little hint of who Carol is and a little hint of what justice is like. Um, now, when you talk about the process of justice, that's exactly right. It's, it's been a process for me. Um, and I think that the thing more than anything else that brought it to the fore it's not an event, so to speak, but just a continual reading of God's word and realizing, yeah, this is something God cares about, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, it might change format in how it looks between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how it will look in the new heavens and the new earth. Cannot wait for that day. Um, but it's, it's, it's a running theme. It's a running theme. In fact, embedded in the gospel itself, is God's justice being poured out on his son instead of the perpetrators of injustice, which is myself and yourself, sinners. So God pours out his wrath and his justice on his son instead of the sinner so that those who have been justified can now live lives of justice. Those who've been justified and made right with God can now live right, which is really the core of justice. Justice is right living before God and with people. Um, but I'd say a big, a big story that influenced my views on justice is actually from my grandmother. So um, <laughs> I'll give the I'll give the abridged version because I know we might not have a lot of time. My my grandmother was the last of uh, five wives, and she was married um, when she was seventeen. So she was not only the last; she was the youngest, she was the prettiest, and she was the most arrogant about it. Like she knew apply now to do. <laughs> Ish, ish. That's yeah. what we are about. Uh, all the other wives were in their 40s and above. And she's over here, spring chicken. So she was the favorite. <laughs> she was the favorite wife of um of the person she had married, a guy called Okoyo, who is you know great grandfather. Anyhow, Okoyo died. And so these other four wives and their sons who had really gotten upset with my grandmother because she was kind of arrogant about how pretty she is, disinherited her and threw her out of the digs. By that time, she had two kids, my uncle and my aunt. Um, and so she had been disinherited of the land, disinherited of cattle and all of that. And she was, by law tradition, as is the case with most African traditions, Jewish traditions, inherited, right? She was inherited by Okoyo's brother. And he, the guy who inherited her was not a bad guy, but he wasn't actually a present guy, you know. And so she decided, ah, me, I'm going to kill myself because my life has no meaning. By this time, my dad is like seven or six years old. But as she's about to do that, she has a voice tell her in Zoluo, not in English, <laughs> um, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
which is John 14, chapter 1, John chapter 14, verse 1 to 2, word for word. So she goes back to, oddly enough, my dad, and she's like, is there something in the Bible that says this? Because back then, in, in at least um, the missionary school they went to, they had to do CRE and they had to do Bible. And my dad's like, I think it's in Colossians. No, actually, it's in John. And she reads the verse, and that's how she comes to Christ. Now, after she comes to Christ, fast forward, she's like, okay, there's no way I can stay, stay in this inherited um, setup. So she goes to the local pastor and asks him, is it okay if you can give me a small portion of land where I can fend for my children, you know, grow some cotton, grow some maize to feed them and sell at a local market, etc. Before she could finish telling him the story, the guy said, in fact, just stop there. Last night I had a dream. The Lord told me to give you this piece of land. That piece of land is the land that I call shags. Wow. Wow. Not only did the church give her that piece of land, the members of the church built the house. They showed up on a Friday and built the house from Friday to Sato. And that is where my father was raised. And from that home, they also gave her seed money to start her cotton planting business and to be able to buy some fish at the local market and sell. And that's what educated my father. So that story shows me the power of the gospel in a church caring for this person who had been in you know the way the bible cares about the widow the orphan the poor and the refugee in one move she came all of that she was widowed husband had died she had already lost her parents she was an orphan she was disinherited so she had to move from one part of nyanza to another she was quote unquote a refugee right and she was poor and the church took her as one of their members and said we will care for you and so that's the story that makes me go yeah the gospel displayed will inevitably lead to justice I I love that. The gospel displayed will inevitably uh, lead to justice. But uh, what is justice? What would you say justice is? And then in that, I'd like you to maybe share portions of scripture that stand out for you in regard to justice. Absolutely, sure. Um, so what is justice? Of course, it can be many definitions, but I think two simple ones. Number one, justice is doing what is right in the sight of God and having a right relationship with him and a right relationship with others, right? That's, that's one definition. It has, it's in the sight of God. A, a, a more simpler kind of street-level definition biblically is doing what is right and true and fair in God's sight, right? So that the key there is it's always in God's sight. I would love to decide what's just for me. If, it, if I was to decide what's just for me, there might be no matatus in Nairobi. However, <laughs> that's just not justice. <laughs> <laughs> matatus are a public, uh, private public transport system that make, make, the, make us get, get us from place one to B, but oh, they try and test us. Oh, yeah. Now, they're very effective at what they do, to be clear. Very <laughs> yes, very, Matatus. We have yes. a very effective road system in Kenya, but they yes. test all of our patients. All of our, in fact, they're a very good reminder that we are not as Christian as we think we are. <laughs> and, and, and it also feels different when you're in one. You're like, yes, we are cutting through traffic. Right. <laughs> when you're not and inside I, one. Yes. <laughs> when you're not, when you're the one who, who's been derailed on the road. But yeah. also that, that, that imagery is also very key because the, when you're the one who's uh, receiving injustice, when you're the one on the bus 
that you know when you're the one who is benefiting from injustice we rarely see it amen but when you're on the other side when you're the car that's been patiently waiting when you're you've been on the queue the you you're waiting for the red light the green light to go and then someone just comes and passes you yeah 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 it's a mark to our broken hearts we are happy when the injustice serves us yes yeah (laughs) and that's why for the kenyan system i hear a lot of us asking are you sad that there is corruption or are you sadder that you're not benefiting from it yeah so you are defining terms I'm going to tweet that statement and I will only credit you once. After that, I will say, as I have always said. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, that's what justice is. It's, it mm. is a right relationship and acting rightly before God and others or doing what is just and right and fair and true in God's sight. Now, the verses that pop out are easily that the low-hanging fruit, right? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He showed you, oh man, what is good. Uh, to act justly, to walk humbly before your God, right? So th- you you can't delete one part of that verse. All of it comes together. Um, another another verse that, at least to my mind, kind of shows what justice looks like in the world is the story of the prodigal son. Um, I mean, not the prodigal son. I beg your pardon. Of the of the good Samaritan. Um, it's a situation where. People actually have the proximity to do the right thing, but do not do the right thing. And we all know what the right thing before God is. And then the last one I would say, might sound kind of obvious, but um, it isn't, and and it segues to my favorite definition of justice, the great commandment, shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, because justice is just love applied. Really, if you boil it down to its basic form, justice is biblical love, applied when i love my neighbor i'm not going to see them getting beaten up by a thug and be like ah by the way each man for himself and god for us all no i'm not gonna mm. do that. if i love yeah. my neighbor and i see her being harassed by policemen because she doesn't have a quote-unquote permit i'll ask the policeman what permit is required why are you harassing mm. her and not all these other people on the road who are all mama bogus type thing yeah yeah i've i've actually heard uh in in connection to justice is love applied is i've i've heard someone adds to it that justice is love applied to systems and structures as well yeah 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 because yeah. because um what is that system that's allowing some uh a city council uh askari uh to to come and beat up a hoka you know what is that? What is this system that brought a hawker to the city streets to hawker stuff? Yeah, yeah, and then, that's, a, that's a that's a good definition. Yeah. Yes, and they've been running, and uh, they've been running after each other for twenty years. If there's no love <laughs> that has been applied to this system, because it benefits the oppressor, and that's exactly. the thing. Broken systems, places where broken systems are not broken. For brokenness sake they yeah, are broken it's not because, accidental yes they are broken because they benefit uh somebody and it's yeah. it's someone's uh shamba or garden for those who don't understand swahili yeah yeah so you you shared is there another verse that you'd like oh i wanted to say something about um the good samaritan story for me i'm always 
always always shaken that it's the it's the people who are meant to help that didn't help yeah it's the religious leaders that were meant to to help that didn't help it's the person it's the outsiders who helped it's who went over and above the call of they were not even if actually the role the roles were reversed if it's the samaritan who was on that on that road killed and died the person who he he looked after would probably have not looked after him yeah you know so so as a kenyan one of the jarring things about that story mm-hmm. is we don't know the tribe of the person who was beaten on the side of the road mm-hmm. it's never mentioned they might be a jew so while these are the people the levites the priests while these are the guys were ignoring him that guy might have literally been a jew and this samaritan who helps the the jew seemingly doesn't care what tribe this person is so it's a real it's a real indictment for me as a kenyan to ask who am i going to help will he be the same quote-unquote tribe whether that's ethnically or socioeconomically you know but but the point of that story is Jesus is saying, yeah, if you love, you love, because you, those yeah. people are made in my image. And also the social economic question. I think for us, uh, I actually think tribe is not the biggest factor in Kenya. It's uh, classism and poverty that becomes our biggest challenge. And so our class and lack of, in terms of poor middle class, uh, rich elite political class, they use tribe as an excuse to to fight us. But the real challenge is that there's a percentage of people who own nothing, while one, two percent of this uh, own that which is not owned by the colonial powers as well. Yeah. Yeah. So they weapon, they definitely weaponize tribe. Yes. And you see, the, 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 it's the only thing they can weaponize, mm. right? Because yeah. we are all equally being squeezed economically. Mm-hmm. But they, they have to convince you somehow that you're better off with me. And the only way to convince you of that is using the use of tribe. Yeah, it's, it, it, is, it, is, it, is a, it is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I am, I am being visited by multiple Kenyans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no worries. So now, um, do you still have another definition of justice, or are we or a verse, or are we are we okay? I, I think I've exhausted on that one. Maybe I'll, I'll send you a, a WhatsApp post to sound a little more intelligent than I did no. last. <laughs> no, you did. You sounded so well. It sounded good. So you're also very keen on discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things I know you for is your commitment to the process of discipleship. And um, for this podcast episode, I really wanted us to talk about uh, discipleship and justice and justice and discipleship. Yeah. Um, what's, your, what's your working definition of discipleship? Yeah, so discipleship is just helping someone else become like Jesus. Simple. Right, discipleship, discipling, whichever word you cho- you choose, it is just helping someone else become like Jesus. Now, I know when you hear that word, people usually think of one and a half hours sitting down discussing the book of Habakkuk. There's a place for that. <laughs> There's a place for that. Of all books, Habakkuk. 
I know. Guys are like, your book is going Wait, where is it again? <laughs> That's the only time you see guys go to the front of the Bible. Ama Saman, that starts with you, with yeah. numbers. It's yeah. like, this is, this is how to be super spiritual. Start from numbers. <laughs> yeah, those are the books, the books you hear. You're like, I, I, this book that starts with names. Cain, begot, Abel, begot, ah, my guy. Next. Um, so there's a place for that. There's a place for talking about, you know, Habakkuk for an hour right? Yes. But what we are doing right now is discipleship. Mm-hmm. We are saying, is this something Jesus cared about? Yes. How do we help other people care about it? That's discipleship. Mm-hmm. Right? Discipleship, Christian discipleship is just helping someone else become like Jesus. That's, that's how I would, I would define it. So in conversations, in meetings, in praying for people, all of that is discipleship. Cool. And so I feel like you've already answered this, but I want to put it out there. So what has discipleship got to do with justice? Ah, yes. What does uh, Rome have to do with Nairobi? They're, in, in, I think, inextricably linked. Okay, so first of all, start with the individual. If this person has been justified by faith, if they have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, by turning away from their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ to rule their life and forgive them of their sins, that means they've been justified, so God considers them just as if they'd never sinned. Though, in fact, they had sinned, right? This person who's now been justified, the Bible says God gives them a new heart. He takes away their heart of stone, gives them a heart of flesh, fills them with his spirit, and moves them to obey his commands. This person who has now come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior feels new affections that he or she didn't have before, right? And I can testify to that in my own life. I see Kobaya, I grew up in, you know, middle-class Kenya. I never even used to think about the poor. When I'd go shags and be met with poverty, yeah, I'd help. But I, I, I wasn't like thinking about the applied for, oh, do you feel for them? I was like, nah, you know, life is tough. But after being born again, you're just like, yeah, life is tough. And love means we care about these people. So that their own heart changes. And then, because their own heart has changed, they become part of this radical group called the church. Right? Now, I'm, I, I don't know if your listeners probably know this, but most people don't know this, that when a Christian says Jesus is Lord, that is an extremely political statement. Yes. Yes. When a church says Jesus is Lord, there's a reason they used to kill them in the first century. Because Christians would refuse to say Kaiser Hokurios, Caesar is Lord. They say no, Yesu Hokurios, Jesus is Lord. In other words, we have a different king. Eh? We march to his drumbeat. And we only adhere with you in as far as you're adhering with him. Those are very dangerous people. So Rome had it right. They had it right when they were killing Christians left, right, and center. Because they understood these people won't operate the way we want them to operate. Now, thankfully, there's no law against love, right? In its, in its deepest form, you can't possibly form a law against love. So quick historical example to talk about how discipleship matters for justice. One of the accusations, two actually, accusations that were laid against Christians in the first century is that number one, we are cannibals. Number two, we are antisocial, right? Now, they called us cannibals partly because of that whole misunderstanding of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, what communion was. But they also thought we were cannibals because in the Roman Empire, when a child seemed weak or undesirable, they'd throw away the child. 
the actual letters from the first century where men are writing to their wives in war and saying, if the child is weak or a, or a girl, drown until dead. If they are strong and a boy, keep them alive. And Christians Boys? would Girls. go. <laughs> I know, right? So mm-hmm. Christians would go to these pits where babies have been thrown and take them. And people thought that Christians were eating them because they see the children go and never come back. What they didn't know is the children were going and they were being raised. They were being cleaned and fed and treated. Why? Because the first page of our Bible says God made them in his image. Male and female made them he. And so us guys here, kiddo being thrown away and we are like, that's the image bearer of God. We'll take care of them. Our changed hearts made us have a changed view on what God says and changed an entire way, an entire culture, treated children. So you, you have to understand when Paul is writing in Ephesians 6, Father, do not exasperate your children. The average Roman is thinking, what on God's green earth are you saying? But children are the things we throw away. And here is Paul saying, no, children are the things you love and raise in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Second thing, historical example, that same uh, first century, Christians were called antisocial. We were called antisocial because we do this weird thing called getting married when you're ready uh, and getting married to one person for life. That in the Greco-Roman Empire was considered absolutely scandalous. What do you mean? But in time, the Greco-Roman culture itself changed because girls used to be married off at 13, 12, 14, basically the minute you seem sexually available. But they'd also suffer from the predictable problems that come with that, fistulas, etc., etc. The whole age of marriage was raised because Christians were saying, one, marriage is not something you can force. Secondly, sex is not a commodity because that's what it was in the Greco-Roman Empire. And because sex in itself is actually a picture of the gospel, we will treat each other with dignity. And an entire culture changed because of that. I could go through many more examples, but that's one way of saying when you, when you help someone become more like Jesus, everything around them changes, how they see everything around them changes. Man, those imageries are, and those stories, the historical uh, perspectives are very, very um, thought-provoking, especially I'm thinking about the pro- proximity to the pit proximity to where the pit where the children were being thrown and um, proximity to changing culture, political culture that actually puts you in trouble with the, with the empire. Yeah. And I'm just looking at, I don't know, man, I'm looking at our churches right now and our proximity to to the state, I don't, I don't see it having the change that that had. It, it's not uh, changing cultures of, of taking care of children. It's not, um, so why, why does the church, and in this case, Kenyan church, global church, why is our call to social justice not, or a commitment to justice not the same as the one in the stories that you're sharing? Yeah, you, you've, just, you've just walked into my wheelhouse, eh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just me. Walked, you've just walked into one of my favorite subjects. So, mm. I think the reason 
Okay, so okay, let me let me first paint a, a more honest picture. In every in every century of Christian history, until the return of Christ, the church is going to be both beautiful and nasty. In every generation, for every one church that is just amazing and cares about the Lord and his people and justice, you will find another church that feels absolutely nothing. And that's just how it's going to be until the return of Christ. Okay, so to, just to put that out there. But secondly, um, the reason we've, I think, missed the boat is because we've missed our core business, which is the preaching of the gospel and the making of disciples. When you miss that core factor, everything else will be thrown off. So the idea is this, eh? if, if you're, let me use a, a secular example, then I'll, I'll, I'll explain clearer what I mean. If you're a mama mboga, your core business is selling mbogas, right? And if you sell mbogas and you sell them properly, um, your business will, God willing, grow and you'll make more money and you'll be able to, you know, um, get what you need and want. But if you're mama mboga and you say, what I want is a yacht, so I'm going to spend my time figuring out how to build a yacht. What will inevitably happen is you will both miss the mbogas and the yacht. <laughs> You'll miss both of them at the end. So here's what, unfortunately, I think the church tends to do. The church forgets that if you preach the gospel and make these disciples, these disciples will be changed people who inevitably, they won't even be able to help themselves, will go out and love the people around them and love applied this justice. What we've started doing is focusing on all sorts of other things. How do we build bigger structures? How do we make more money? How do we build schools? How do we, et cetera, et cetera. Forgetting that this is never our plan. God has a plan. We are here to fulfill his mission. He has given us the privilege of joining him in his mission. And when we jettison his mission because we think we can do something better, even if those are good things, we will end up missing both. Now, to be fair, to be fair, in places where the church is persecuted, like Saudi Arabia or North Korea, one of my, and this is part of what you're, you're talking to, one of my favorite pictures is a picture of the North Korean peninsula. The northern side, if you look at a picture of the North Korean, of the Korean peninsula from space, the northern side is completely dark. And the southern side is, has complete light, right? The southern side, Christianity is free, religion is free. The northern side, Christianity is outlawed. The church tends to make one of two extreme mistakes. Either on one side they say, justice doesn't matter, we just want people to go to heaven. Or the, on the other extreme, we don't care about heaven, we just want people to live good lives. There's no need for an either or equation. The two are not opposites. The two are not opposites. So discipleship matters for justice, and justice matters for discipleship. Those who think that justice and politics don't matter for discipleship, I defy you to go to North Korea. There's no freedom of religion. There's no freedom to preach the gospel. Those who think that discipleship doesn't matter for justice, I defy you to go to North Korea because they abandoned their job. People didn't see the need to create just systems and just structures influenced by the scripture. So that's, that's, that's how I look at it. Oh, thank you. So now to sort of uh, contextualize this to the Kenyan system, and and the Kenyan discipleship culture, mm. we've I've never. Let me. I think I've never been to you know those challenge weekends or like those full year uh, discipleship programs and classes that has said anything about justice. 
I don't I don't know if when you were in high school and primary school do when the, there was that uh Christian union meetings if there was what, what and even in our churches to be honest sermons on justice you can go for 4 years 5 6 yeah the union the whole the whole, <laughs> the whole history of the church where justice has not been preached if, um, and to reiterate that the reason uh, Msingi is called Msingi is because justice and righteousness is the foundation of foundation God's of throne. His throne. Yeah. So you can't have a, a thing that's all righteousness that doesn't have justice. Yeah. And you can't have yeah. a thing that's all justice that doesn't have righteousness. And Amen. With each other. Amen. So, and, and I think this is the place I find myself in Singi as because as an activist, as an advocate, as someone who is uh, who finds my place, my heart beats with uh, with activists and I, I find that there's also need for spiritual uh, conversations in that space and we've been talking about it a lot with my friends in, in the human rights world. How do we talk how do we bring spirituality in the movement as well that connects to where the people are? But that, that conversation, I've not, I've, not, I've not had anyone ask me, Carol, we are doing discipleship. Is, we need to talk about justice. I see justice here. Why is there that disconnect, especially from you as someone who's, who's involved in very various youth networks, you've You've been a youth pastor for years. You you're in the quote unquote industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> was in the was. industry. No longer. Yes. Yes. Oh, was in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> why 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 doesn't justice feature? Msingi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89:14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website, www.msingitrust.org, follow us on all our social media handles, at Trust, or email us on info at yeah, you've asked a very good question there, man. So off the top of my head, three things that come to mind. I'll just be honest. Firstly, we don't think it's important. That's, I, I wish I had a way of sugarcoating that. I wish I had a way of making it, make, it, make my, myself and uh, my people in the industry. I, I wish I had a way of making it sound better, but I'd be lying to you and you know I'd be lying to you. We just don't care about it. Um, and part of why we don't care about it is because we grew up in a country that doesn't care about it. The, and it's in simple things. Eh? We were laughing with my wife the other day. We were like, have you ever noticed most Kenyans walk, but there are no sidewalks, right? It, it, it tells you what we think about the value of human life. It just, it tells you. Um, and this is the country we grew up in, a country that doesn't consider justice. And unfortunately, instead of getting our cues, myself included, instead of getting our cues from the Bible, we got our cues from the culture. So that's one. The second reason we don't talk about it, I think, is because it's difficult to talk about. Like, let's be honest, 
right? And it's made increasingly difficult if you're benefiting from the injustice. Um, so in the 90s, for example, you know, when when the late 80s into the 90s, when Kenyans were pushing for multi-party politics, when we were pushing for democracy, what the former president was a master at doing, because the clergy would tend to be the ones who are making noise, he'd invite them over to State House. And when they come to State House, they tend to live with anywhere between 30 to 60,000 shillings. In the late 80s, early 90s, that was a truckload, a truckload of money. And then yeah. suddenly, these people who paid the president a visit would suddenly have land for their building projects from thin air. Oh. Title deeds oh. would just suddenly show up. Oh. And uh, the money for building those buildings would also suddenly show up. And there's a church, even as we speak, uh, somewhere in Nairobi that was heavily funded by you know, upper powers in the government. And their title deed and their money showed up out of thin air. It's those things. So how are you going to tell the government what Moses said, let my people go. Let my people go. When you are living in their palace, how, how are you going to do that, right? Mm. And I wish, I wish, man, like I'm, I'm almost choking up thinking about it. I, I wish, I wish that's not what we taught people about the church. Mm. I, I wish that's not what we taught people about Jesus Christ. Mm. That's not who he is, man. That's not who, the, the God who dies for people does not go around and then abuse them. That's just not who he is. Um, and unfortunately, that's what we did. Um, and then thirdly, the only good reason I can think of is that there needs to be a, a difference between what the church can do and what Christians can do, right? What the church as a body can do versus what Christians who have been discipled by that church out in society can do. Those two are not the same things. And recognizing there are some straight line issues and some jagged line issues. So, for example, um, if there's a state-sponsored massacre of the Somali in Wagala, that's a straight line issue. Everyone from the actual church to Christians in society needs to stand up and say, this is, this is wrong, this is sin, this is against God, stop it. But then there's some more jagged line issues, uh, like minimum wage. Should we have one? Should we not have one? What should it be? Christians can disagree on that, but the church doesn't necessarily need to have a position on that. Regardless, though, to answer your question directly, I think that the church needs to teach about justice simply by teaching the Bible. <laughs> you cannot read the story of the Good Samaritan and miss it. You cannot read Romans 13 that talks about what government is supposed to do and miss it. You can't read Revelation 13 and talk about, and, and see in, in that chapter of scripture how governments abuse their power and miss to talk about justice. So if we just preached the Bible and taught the Bible and taught people what God says about everything he says, we wouldn't even need to have this conversation. Mm. So I, I feel you and I feel the, your heart and also the heart this Kenyan, the H-E-A-R-T and the H-U-R-T and um, I really resonate with that and I think the reason we are called and the reason even God has put our paths together even is for us to change it to, yeah. to, to turn that wheel just a bit and that's what Ms. wants to do because more and more um, 
and we are being confirmed that we are called for the church, for the church and justice. And uh, I, and this is now places where I think the church should have something to do with minimum wage, um, especially because they pay a lot of people minimum wage and they pay them badly. <laughs> they exploit labor. <laughs> I see your point. (laughs) (laughs) And they exploit labor. And those are are some of the things that I, especially about structures and systems, that I remember, I don't know if uh, your friend, uh, he's uh, Pastor Pinto, Mm -hmm. he's your friend. I remember there's a time, I don't know where we were coming from and why we were in the same car with Pastor Pinto. And I was talking to him and the conversation I had with him is about health insurance for interns. And I was, um, I was saying that it does not make sense for churches to follow the same human resources principles that the world has. Amen. Amen. That an intern who you're paying 9,000, 6,000 shillings per month does not have insurance, health cover. But someone who's being paid 300,000, 400,000, 500,000 has health cover that they don't use, that they can pay from their own pocket. And those are the things that, that's why justice is hard as to go back to your point, is that because it, it costs us. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I'm a bit spoiled. Eh? I, I I was an intern at Nairobi Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and we had pretty much the same health insurance as any other employee in the church, mm-hmm. right? So it was bizarre to me when I went to other places and found interns don't have health insurance. I was like, but what do you mean? <laughs> as it is, you're paying them, you're paying them less than what they can afford for rent. It it confused me. So you really you really hit a nerve for me when you said if the church acted like the church and not like the world, we are not surprised when the HR policies of EABL or some other company do that. We are not surprised. But surely, us ourselves, because before this guy is an intern, he's a member of this church. Before this guy is an intern, he's my brother in Christ. He's, she's my sister in Christ. Is this how I would treat my sister? Yeah. What, what, so what is the, the conversation about love that is radical in the eyes of the world, but love that is just love. Because love, I think love is an emptying of oneself of, because we are not about profit. We are not about those margins. We are about God's kingdom and and, uh, taking care of of those uh, who are less fortunate and who have been made less fortunate by systems as well. Yeah, so what do we do, Christian? How do we have faith movements, uh, churches, Kenyan discipleship programs, um, African discipleship programs? Yeah. That, what do we do? How then shall we live? How then shall we live? Man, if ever there was a good question, eh? that Mm. was it. (laughs) In view of what you know, how then shall we live? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't have all the answers uh, for your for your listeners. If you want all the answers, please ask, ask Carol Nganga. She will uh, email them to you. All your existential questions, uh, she will have the answers. 
me i'll just throw you out i will confuse your life <laughs> but join us i i think this is an invitation to joining us as we as we choose to follow christ in uh, in his love for people and Amen. what he did yeah so christian yeah so i okay, i think firstly I, I something I learned from a church out in the states. It's called the Capitol Hill Baptist Church. So they are literally in in Washington D.C. There's a specific place called the Hill, and literally from that church, eh, it's a three minute walk to the Supreme Court, a four minute walk to the Capitol building, maybe twenty five minute, thirty minute walk to the White House, forty minute drive to the Pentagon, a thirty minute walk to the FBI building, a thirty five minute walk to Langley. Do you see where I'm going with this? They are surrounded by earthly power, mm. surrounded by it. So if it's intelligence, CIA is there, FBI is there. If it's military, the Pentagon is there. If it's the White House, it's there, the Supreme Court, blah, blah, blah. But what I saw this community of believers do is disciple, disciple, disciple. And then when they were, when they were done discipling, disciple some more. So they used to have an hour before the service. They used to call them uh, core seminars, basically adult education hours. And one of the things they would teach is government and the Christian, which is impressive because something like 80% of their congregants work for the government. I mean, it's Washington, D.C. and it's the Hill. For sure, most people there work for the government. So they have- the ones who don't say, they're like super secret ones. <laughs> Thanks. There, me, I'm yes. telling you, there was a Kassawund guy there. I'm like, um, say, say, CIA. this guy works for the CIA. He's just not telling us. But anyway, that's my theory. Um, so they would, they would help these people who work for the government from both sides of the political divide, Democrats and Republicans, and that divide is fierce. It's more fierce than anything I've ever seen in Kenya. But you'd have these people who fundamentally see themselves as Christians, not Democrats or Republicans. Christians, not black or white. Christians, not rich or poor. In other words, they believe the Bible when it says, in Christ there's neither Barbarian, nor Scythian, male, nor female, Greek, nor Jew. Christ is all and Christ is in all. And they'd help them see governance through that lens and walk them through texts like Romans 13, Revelation 13, Matthew 13, and help them see as long as you're on this earth, your fundamental allegiance needs to be King Jesus and to those you're serving, right? And that's a, it's very tricky. It's very tricky because there are very complex issues that these people are dealing with. So number one, disciple them, teach them what the Bible has to say about these issues. But then number two, model it. Model it for the people around you. It's, it's going to be very rich for me if I'm discipling a young man and then he sees me breaking traffic laws and, and yelling expletives at Matatu drivers. It's like, it's like, okay, my guy, <laughs> how do we take you seriously about anything you're talking about? right but when i when i say no even that matatu driver is made in the image of god therefore love them even when they're breaking the law love them tell them they're wrong but still show grace so modeling it for them and then modeling it as a community that as the church you know scripture actually commands us to pray for those in political power it commands us to do so and that's such a powerful act not only because you're beseeching heaven for the sake of earth but you're teaching the people who are listening to you pray for the president by name, the deputy president by name, your governor by name. You're teaching them, these people also need Jesus. 
but also, Lord, would you help these people govern well that we may live lives of peace, which is what the Bible commands us to do. So number one, teach it. Number two, model it. And then number three, where there's a straight line issue, a very clear issue. My friend Alan Mushiri keeps saying that the church must speak out against clear injustice. We don't have an option there. We can't claim to love people and say nothing. So when you, when you hear that there's violence in Kibiras, state-sponsored, violence or politically sponsored violence. Um, when we hear that there are people in, let me use an, an international example, in Rohingya, they're kicking out Muslims in Rohingya. Now I'm a Christian, I'm a Bible-believing Baptist preacher, but that doesn't mean I don't care about Muslims who are being killed and raped and beaten in Myanmar. And I want to pray for them publicly in our services. And I will get on the horn as much as I can and say, this is sin. And this, it's breaking God's heart. And the perpetrators of this will be judged if they don't repent. So those are the three things that come to mind. Hmm. Well, maybe, I think maybe be faithful. I keep saying, like, maybe have faith that, that moves such mountains. Because I feel like we've created mountains, especially around div- divisions that that only perpetuate injustice. And even coming to here in Kenya, I'm looking at, at how the church is used during politics and how so aligned with politicians, because I don't think we are aligned with, we are aligned with whoever lines our pockets, honestly. Right. And we are aligned with uh, whoever Because I'm trying to see what is our alignment, what is it, and yeah. but whatever it is, it's not. I think you are right the first time. I like the way you're trying to qualify yourself and be gentle. Yeah. I think you're right the first time. We are a greedy people, Carol. It's okay yeah. to say it. we are a yeah. greedy people. I'm like, the money is our God. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to find like what is really our alignment because it's not. You can't say we are pro poor. Uh, we are. We are majority of our young people are. Are, we are struggling as a nation in terms of attaining, uh, finding work, finding purpose. So what do we align ourselves as? How do we, and uh, how do we, as the Kenyan church, do justice? How do we disciple for justice? And I know it feels like a repetition, but the more we are talking about this, the more I'm like, how then shall we live as a Kenyan church? Yeah, yeah. In, in our specific, in our, you know how uh, Michael Joseph told us we are peculiar Kenyans and we we chaotic him, Kenyan on Twitter <laughs> him. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is yeah. to be feared. Yes. So with. And also, I was talking about the justice conversation. How do we do the justice conversation, knowing that most of uh, the majority of the Kenyan church is informal, rural? How do we contextualize this conversation? Because this is well and good. We are doing it in English on Zoom. All right. <laughs> and the people who will have this conversation or who will have access to this conversation are mainly people who have access to a podcast, I think. But 
for the pastor who is somewhere in Sambweni, deep in in the coast, yeah, who doesn't understand, and the role also of theological institutions in forming this conversation. How do we curate this conversation so that um, common day monanchi, who uh, common day citizen, who in Kenya we call Wanjiko, how do we? Taylor make this for Wanjiko's pastor and Wanjiko. Yeah, so again, um, don't have all the answers here. Like I said, if your listeners ask Carol for those. Um, but one, one of the things that my church does that I think is helpful um, through Ecclesia is we have a program called SOMA. And what SOMA does is it trains pastors in exactly the kind of places you're talking about. The pastors who do not have Zoom and do not fundamentally or primarily speak in, uh, in English. So they're Swahili speakers and sometimes even tribal speakers. And the goal there is to help them just, fund up, I think, understand three things. The gospel, the church, and their mission. When they do so, they will create people like my grandmother. It is very, after my grandmother has understood the gospel, and has come to a church that treats her that way, it's very difficult for a politician to danganya her. She, she didn't read or write one day in her life. She only knew two Kiswahili words, Habari and Missouri, pronounced Missouri, not Missouri. That's all she knew, but you're not, you're not going to lie to her. You're not going to lie to her because she's experienced something and has been taught something from God's word that is so different that when you as a politician tell her your fundamental allegiance needs to be to your Luo tribe, she'll just be like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> In fact, she used to tell us when we, were, when, we were, when we were preparing to get married, she used to tell us, you know, you can marry a Luo woman who is terrible and you can marry a Kikui woman who's great. You just look for a Christian woman. You see, she's been so fundamental and she's, she was telling us this in her 90s. She was literally born in 1918. <laughs> so she, she, she's been so, she thinks so differently from the average Kenyan. Why? Because she had faithful pastors who taught her God's word. She had a faithful church that loved her with their little resources. And then when she went out into the world, she understood, I'm not going to, out into the world as a Luo. In fact, I'm not even going out into the world fundamentally as a Kenyan. I'm going out into the world to represent Christ in every simple activity I do. And there's a lot that can be said about that, but I think that's what the church needs to do. Get back to the gospel, help the church understand who she is, and help them live out in the world fundamentally as Christians. The natural result of that will be when I see a red light, I'll stop. When a cop tells me to do something that is illegal, I'll tell him respectfully, Afande, siwezi fanya evil. Whatever the, whatever the cost may be. You see what I mean? That's, that's what I think. You know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of the capacity of the student, even the student Christian movement, um, the outreach movement, the capacity it has for justice. And uh, I, know they, I don't know who has the, the catchphrase representing Christ Jesus to the fullest. Mm, and uh, yeah, the fullest of God is not full if we've not included justice in that conversation. And and maybe if we are if we are to borrow that phrase, is that if we are representing Christ Jesus to the fullest, we need to be able to place ourselves as a Samaritan woman at the well and bring liberation to her. We need to place ourselves 
with the woman at uh, the woman who the issue of blood. I don't like that statement. The woman with an issue of blood, but <laughs> like, like <laughs> what is an issue of blood? Just say what it was. <laughs> so um, that woman who for twelve years had been an outcast, but for Jesus turning around, pausing. Like I, I love the flow of events in that in that chapter. A rich centurion wants her, him, wants Jesus to go to heal his daughter, but Jesus stops for an unnamed woman and asks about the power of Christ that has left, has left, who has left, and that is to affirm the unseen, the smelly. Because that woman was not smelling nice when she was there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it is that to be able to emulate Jesus in, in loving the unloved, seeing the unseen, hearing the unheard. Yeah. And, yeah. and asking why are they unheard? Who has made, because they have voices. People have voices. Yeah. Who has systematically disenfranchised these people? And loving, yeah. and loving, and loving as Jesus would. Yeah. A so. last quick one I'd add: mm. the power of prayer and mm. the power of the gospel. I think, I yeah. think very often it breaks my heart when we talk about justice, and mm. and people dismiss prayer. Like, ah, forget prayer. We need to do. And I'm just like, mm. ah, keep bro, maze. No, you you can appeal to the King of Justice for justice. That is your most powerful weapon. Again, I think of the church in places like Saudi Arabia, where they are literally being killed, or North Korea, or different parts of the Middle East. But those guys pray, mm. right? And that weapon, in time, will show itself. Um, but then the second one, and I, I, I know I sound like a broken record here, but just the power of the gospel to mm. change lives. The Bible says I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. The, the power is never in Christian Luanda. The power is not even fundamentally in a church. The power is in this good news of a God who dies for the unjust. The whole point of, the whole point of Romans is how God is justly making the unjust just. Mm. A righteous God is righteousing the unrighteous. And you can't separate justice and righteousness. In, in Greek, the root word is actually the same, right? And God is saying, once I've, once I've grabbed you and changed you, I will change everything else you do, everyone you interact with, from the government to your house help, from the matatu driver to a carpenter. I will change everything about you. And the result of that will inevitably be justice. And even if we don't get full justice on this side of heaven, Praise the Lord, it's coming. Amen. Amen. So we are winding up our conversation. I have to... Is there anything that you would like to... That you've not... Uh, that you feel is still bubbling over in your spirit that you would like to share and mention to our, our friends who are listening to us? Yeah, three quick ones. <laughs> Number mm -hmm. one. I know, I know many of, of our listeners have been really disappointed by the church and really disappointed by clergy, but I'd ask you to be gracious with them. The, the abuse of something does not negate its proper use. 
okay, the abuse of the church and how the church has abused others and how clergy have abused others does not negate its proper use. I can use a hammer to hammer a nail or I can use a hammer to kill someone. So just because a hammer has been used to kill someone doesn't mean hammers are evil. So for those who have been disappointed by the church or by clergy, I'd, I'd tell you, one, one we are sorry. <laughs> and you're right, there's many things we've done wrong. Um, but that doesn't mean the church in itself is a wrong entity. She is still the bride of Christ. She's still the family of God. She's still who Jesus is coming back for. Um, so if you're part of a bad church, leave <laughs> and join a, join a good church that preaches the gospel and preaches the word of Jesus Christ. Um, secondly, especially for the listeners, just so they don't feel overburdened, I'd, I'd want to put a slight distinction between things we ought to do and things we can do. So I want to put, I don't want to put a hard ought where we should have a soft can. Can we do something versus should we do something? I think we should always be asking ourselves that question so that we don't feel the weight of the world on our shoulders. Jesus died for the world. You don't have to die for the world. <laughs> okay, so clearly distinguishing, and I'd, I'd say go back to your pastor and people like Carol to seek some guidance on this. What is it I can do? And what is it I must do that straight line versus jagged line issues and then lastly just to thank you carol thank you for the time you've uh, given me um even knowing our intense conversations and our disagreements on several things you you continue to um hold christ at the center and you will continue to call the church to be what she should be even when she doesn't want to listen to you which tends to be often but <laughs> thank you for refusing um yeah. to shut up thank you for yeah. refusing to shut up god bless you Thank you. Thank you, Christian. And I think for, for many of us, it's, it's a tussle, even for me. I know I'm called for the church and justice, but I'm like, hey, Lord, it would, should, it would have been easier if it was something else, you know, right. something, something else. <laughs> not, and I think also that's a, a reflection on myself. It was like, if it, it would have been easier if it was someone else, but I think what I'm learning, I've learned over the past three years is that this work is hard, but if God has called and equipped you for it, God gives you the grace and mm. somehow sustains you. Remember I said about sustenance in the beginning that yeah. these three, three years have been about God sustaining me in ways that I never thought possible. And uh, the other thing is that use, uh, if I could add another one to that is use your gifts. Because sometimes your gift would be an accountant and you can be an accountant for an organization that's doing justice and you're part of it. So you don't have to, to be on the streets uh, doing, but you can help people get to the streets, you know, if that's the call. So, so yeah, so that's, if you feel like you can support a ministry that's doing justice, a children's home that's doing justice and all of that, please do that. And, but consistently study, consistently open your eyes and consistently pray because uh, prayer is what strengthens us and keeps us and keeps us uh, rolling and keeps us strong. And sing songs, sing songs. And Christian, I wanted to talk to you about songs. I don't know if you can give me five minutes of your time to speak about songs and justice. Because you are also a worship leader. And uh, we we do Msingi Talks on on Facebook Live. And we 
we've the past two months we've done it about worship and songs we sing uh it's actually been titled the songs we sing and we realize that the songs we sing are devoid of anything to do with justice how do <laughs> also oh, oh, like you you'd think we are not in the same country <laughs> like, <"Hi-ya." laughs> yeah. what we don't yeah. or, or songs like, like you see how in psalms there's a lot of justice things about justice things about and lamentations even where the uh the prophet is like okay this, this, things are not going well. we're in trouble man yeah yeah how do we solve like what is that's a whole podcast interview but in like, <laughs> it's not a five minute conversation carol are you serious yeah. you're gonna ask me to talk about songs for five minutes what <laughs> i know but for for artists who want to express or who who feel like you have to write a song or sing a song that is just you know one way or who don't have the skills what do we do about the songs we sing and just this conversation and our worship services in church so there's a guy i forget his name but a guy said um let me write the songs of the nation and i don't care who writes its laws what he meant by that is songs have a way of sticking in your head right and they have a way of teaching truth um and so are songs important yeah um now i do want to distinguish the songs we sing in a church service versus the songs we sing outside of a church service because the church service exists to do something specific we gather to say things to god and about god that we know to be true and eagerly await those times when he speaks back to us most clearly through his word preached to the end that our lives may be conformed to the image of jesus christ that doesn't mean we can't lament right so one of the one of the songs that when i when i had the privilege of living in the states that finally clicked for me um was the song precious lord right Precious Lord, take my hand. It's, it's an older African American song. I do not know that song. Yeah, it's okay. It was one of it was Martin Luther King's uh, Jr.'s favorite song, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, it's a nice song." But when I was there and when I understood the history, this podcast, this podcast is designed to make me cry. Anyway, <laughs> the song says, "I am tired. I am worn. Precious Lord, take my hand." If you put yourself in the context of an African-American in the 1930s, in the 1940s, where every day you walk out into the street and someone is hanging from a tree. Mm. Of course, when you go back to church, you're going to say, I'm tired, I'm worn. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. Right? Yeah. And so, for the songwriters whether they are in the church or out whether they are as, as believers when they're singing in the church or out of the church recognizing that as a church lament is a form of worship it's not something different we do out here and then worship is pangeomoto where we clap hands and jump around no there's an entire book of the bible called lamentations for a reason <laughs> it's one third of the psalms are laments right so we can lament our personal life situations we can lament um the the situations we find in this broken world and there's a place for that but there's also a place for singers like kagaba 
and Giuliani or whatever to go out of their way and write songs that clearly make it very pointed that we have a justice problem. Oh, and by the way, our Jesus is the one who can solve the problem. I think there's a place for both. And I know that's an entire other podcast, but I think there's a, yeah. there's a place for both. All right. Asante Sana, Christian. This has been so, like it has had, so we've moved. We've hit every <laughs> Through the emotion. whole spectrum. Yeah, but I think uh, our idea in, for having this conversation is to say that justice is necessary and the church is not the judge if we are not uh, part of who we are does not uh, embody justice as core because again justice and righteousness is a foundation of god's throne and when Amen. we build a foundation and concentrate on one side what it means that we have a lopsided uh unstable uh building and uh the the core of Minsingi is to push, to build one layer at a time and try and bring us closer to having, mainstreaming the justice conversation in our churches. So Asante Sana, and God bless you for your, for your heart, for the gifts that you use in service to God and to people. And yeah, thank you for your time. I really appreciate and honor this time. Amen. Thank you for having me, man. Asante Kwaheri. If you've been inspired, challenged, and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, remember to follow us on social media at Msingi Trust, share this podcast with your friends and family, and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com, Patreon at msingikenya, or through M-Pesa, plus 254-792-176-030. Kwaherini, and thank you for joining us.